The internet should be simple and safe. We strongly believe that having nothing to hide shouldn't mean having to show it all. This is Silent Keys. A beautiful and secure keyboard that defends your privacy. Open source and plug and play, Silent Keys protects you from viruses, ransomware, mass surveillance and identity theft. Stop governments, employers, search engines and credit agencies from seeing what you do online. Browse without fear and protect who you are, what you do and what you like. Block annoying tracking ads and encrypt all your traffic so you can surf the web privately. Using this keyboard? Every year, millions so. of people experience banking fraud and lose their savings. Be safe from keyloggers when accessing online banking, Bitcoin, We just stop and you from typing media. your password at all. Stream your favorite TV shows from all over the world with no restrictions. What's going on here? Because a no simple keylogger can record all your keystrokes and defeat the best security, we created a tamper-proof keyboard. What? An aluminium shell that can't be opened without breaking. It's really easy to use. Are we serious? Plug it in, press a button, and boot. Silent Keys includes Satya, a modern and secure desktop. Ah. The best way to protect an operating system against viruses is to make it read-only uh-huh. and have it load from scratch at every use. Satya right. bypasses is that a cute little dot net I saw there? This makes it immune to insecure systems and leaves no trace. Just like a CD-ROM. Silent Keys features a secure update switch with free and unlimited updates. Ooh. To protect your privacy and prevent data leaks, Silent Keys automatically encrypts your web connection using Tor or VPN. Or, Anonymous browsing nice. on Silent Keys safely counters fake Wi-Fis, ISP snooping, mass surveillance, and hackers. All ads are blocked too. Secure messaging and end-to-end encryption for your email comes out of the box. <laughs> that is the slowest email encryption I've ever seen. Okay, if this is legit, System files are safe if they can make this keyboard. something that's really simple for the average person, it's not so bad. But look at this, Wes. 616 backers. They've, they were only going for $55,000. They've raised $105,000. So they're, they're, they're scratching some itch. But it's, yeah, it's essentially a read-only live GNOME desktop with a decent GNOME theme. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't look bad. <sighs> you know That's what, Wes? Why is it a keyboard as well? It, well, because then it's the tamper-proof device yeah. where it, it freaks out when it gets broken. Oh. Yeah. It's, oh. you, you know what, guys? This is what it tells us. It doesn't matter about the technical uh, whiz-bang because, you know, I mean, this is or it is what it is. It may, may or not be hacker-proof, right? Right. What it does tell you is that we are in the wrong business. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 150 for June 21st, 2016. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that is a wash in distribution releases. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. How about it, Wes? Like today, this week at least, it giveth. We have some great releases to talk about today that are super fresh. We've got a Mycroft update that I'm really excited to talk about for multiple reasons. We'll tell you guys all about that. Some cool hardware coming for Ubuntu Phone, a free great game for Linux this week. DockerCon's going on right now, and I've snus snussed out? <laughs> That's sussed and sniffed. I snussed out some of the best stuff. And then coming up last but not least, we're gonna look at Maru. Maru OS. 
the yeah. desktop on your Android phone. Yeah, it's they claim they've got convergence and they've based it on Debian and it's here today. And I it's even it uses like Wayland or some shenanigans. Like there's some there's some crazy far out future technology in that thing. I don't know, Wes. You have to dig into that. Wes has got a load on his phone and he'll give us his take. How it runs on his Nexus 5. And then towards the end, flat packs. They're officially here! Yeah, you know, universal software installation. That's another universal answer. Another standard flat pack. Now we got snaps, flat packs, app images. They're all competing to essentially do the same thing, but we've already talked about that aspect of it. But since we started that conversation, people have gone to war. It is a fast moving story. Holy. It, I mean, man. I don't want to drop an S bomb at the top Apparently of the show. We were all like kind of bitter about Linux packaging or something. I don't know. I mean, it has gone to full fledged war over this. Uh, and uh, boy, my somehow because because I talked on a, on two shows, I have wandered in the middle of this, and I am just getting slammed on all sides. <laughs> and we're going to just talk a little bit about it today in the show, and uh, we'll see. Depending on how far this beer gets me, I may get a little ranty, but I doubt it because we just got one great beer here from Fremont Brewing, just a pit, just a bit down the road, mm-hmm. just a piece from where you probably work. I mean, not too far. All things considered, coming right out of a local Seattle brewery because beer matters. It says. This is the Summer Ale, their American Pale Ale. This looks like a nice treat, Wes. And I got to say, too, it's got a good color to it. I don't know. Do I have the camera on? Yeah. You guys probably can't make it out. Yeah, it's a little dark, but it has a really good color to it. Oh, I didn't open mine. Jeez. Oh, come on, Chris. Let's see. Let's just document the hazard and mess right now. There we go. So we will be, uh, prepared. We'll be enjoying that during the show today. So we got a lot to get into. Let's bring in our virtual lug. Time-appropriate greetings, Mumba Room. hey Wow, Hello. I really Hello. caught. I look at that. I caught them off guard. You see that? Yes, you did. That? All right, so guys, I already asked you on the pre-show, so I already know the answer. We haven't really got a chance to kick the tires yet. I'm going to hold uh, my powder dry for the segment, but Fedora 24 is officially out today, and uh, there's some really nice things in this one. <clears throat> Mainly, the one that I'm really looking forward to is a GNOME 3.20 is in this. Also, talked about it just a bit, just a bit briefly. There, Flatpak support is also included in this version of Fedora. So uh, they have sort of a official, unofficial upgrade guide, I'm going to call it, that we will link in the show notes. Interesting. Yeah, where you can do an update. And I have a, just put it actually recently back into production a bit, I'll tell you about that later in the show, a Fedora cloud installation that I have running a couple of different uh, containers and whatnots. That I'm going to do an upgrade from 23 to 24 I'll as be part of to my. See what you think about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you my thoughts. Part of my review in Linux Action Show on Sunday, I'll talk about Fedora 24. But congrats to Fedora for getting a release out, shipping it with uh, GNOME 3.20 in there, and uh, I think it's got kernel 4.5 or some shenanigans like that. And of course, uh, looking pretty solid with the uh, flat pack support. So that's Fedora, and we don't have a lot to say about it because we have so much to cover. Uh, why don't we jump into uh, a little Mycroft news? Because Ryan's joining us today. Wonderful. Welcome back to Unplugged, Mr. Ryan. Hey, it's good to be back. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you very much for being here. We really do appreciate it. So tell me about version.7, responsive listening, third-party skills, a new voice, the big update, and better sm- and better emotions on the front panel, too. Like, there's a yeah. lot to cover here. But what the hell is responsive listening? Can we start there? Responsive listening is... Uh a name I came up with <laughs> <It's good. laughs> because I didn't name. have a good name for, for how to describe it. But uh, for the longest time, and you'll see this in the, in the blog post that I made, we played around with this idea of passive listening and it worked all right. And that was a, the deal where you can say an entire sentence, put Mycroft's name anywhere 
and it will trigger and then take action. But what we found was that lots of people were already interacting with the device in the way that Google now has trained them and Siri and, and the uh, Echo. And so they were saying, you know, hey, Mycroft, and then saying whatever they were going to say. How should they? Have, and, how are they supposed to be saying it beforehand? Well, it's not that they couldn't say it that way. It's that, it's that they could insert the name anywhere that they wanted to. Oh, so you could and, say you know, like, uh, so you could, so the, the actual Mycroft part of the sentence might, the word Mycroft might be four or five words into the sentence and the system correct. would have to be able to like wake up and scan back to find what was said before the name, right? Correct. And it was pretty cool technology, but uh, people didn't understand the latency that came from that. And it was only, you know, uh, about a second, but there there are now expectations, especially because people are comparing us against the Echo. And so what we've done is we've gone ahead and put responsive listening as the default. So you say, hey, Mycroft, and then your query, and it comes back pretty much instantaneously. And then what we've done is we've gone ahead and begun uh, working on making the existing passive listening, is what we called it, uh, a uh, option that people can just go in and check in the config. Oh, that's neat. Responsive listening. That's a good name. And uh, I guess I I assumed... I guess I assumed because of that's how, like you just said, all of the other assistants that are sort of on the market right now operate the other way. I just assumed that would be the way Mycroft would operate. Yeah. I didn't even – there's so many little aspects to this. And Ryan, <clears throat> it got me thinking about sort of an advantage that Mycroft might have being open source where the code can be publicly audited. People have a, have a, a higher level of trust in it than say maybe the Alexa Definitely. or the Google stuff because you don't – you don't really know, fully understand their complete motivation behind the product. You have a pretty good idea, though. And with Mycroft, everything being kind of out in the public, it doesn't quite matter what the motivation is because you can still see what the end result is literally for yourself. And so that gives Mycroft the opportunity to maybe be a little creepier than, say, Google or Amazon can be. Like, it could eventually give Mycroft room to say, hey, would you optionally like that we listen to everything all the time? I mean, there's like a lot right. of different things that people might be willing to let a fully open source assistant do that they wouldn't want a commercial version to do. Am I, am I, am I making sense here? Yeah, but uh, you're operating under, under the assumption that the Echo isn't already listening all the time. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but the, uh, but yeah, I, and what we're hoping is that Eventually, I think that's the way that a lot of these um, little smart assistants will be, regardless of whether or not they're in a dedicated device in your house or Mm -hmm. on your phone or wherever. The question is about trust and about whether or not, because I think eventually, and we talked about this at one of our meetings, uh, one of our, you know, all hands meetings, somebody brought the fact that eventually they thought that, that the benefits would outweigh the what a lot of people saw as security concerns. I'm not saying that that's our, how we feel, but you know, it's the idea that it could listen and be smart enough to, you know, actually offer you up uh, suggestions or take notes for you that you might forget to take yourself and things like that. Those benefits might eventually outweigh people's privacy concerns. But the worry is, you know, who, what, company are you going to want to trust your data with? Are you going to want your to trust your data with a company? Um, being an open source uh, company and an open source project, uh, I we get to be a little more transparent with users and let them know 
you know, here's here's kind of how things are. You can audit the code, make sure that it's only listening when you want it to, and uh, and not have to do some sort of crazy gymnastics to figure out what exactly is happening with your data and mm-hmm. <laughs> whether or not you just bugged your house. What's the yeah um, yeah and, and and what exactly is it that they're storing and what it, why are they storing? It? You know, that's your point. You make a good point because I think unfortunately, uh, and I want to make sure that sinks in because I always get pushback on this. Unfortunately, I think you are right in the sense that the convenience that a lot of these different platforms offer, be it iOS or Android or the entire Google platform, it is it is for people who just need a little extra help in life, it is actually very tempting. And it seems to me that if they're willing to make that concession to use Google, like I've recently uh, kind of started going all in with Google because Google Photos is just they just happen to nail something that is exceedingly important to me as a father of three young, adorable children. I like that. I would, I, uh, Google photos is one of two backup offsite backups. Plus I have a local storage of all my photos and the ability to search that and say, you know, you know, grandma and hugs and Dylan and get a, get a, get all that mapped out is That's super cool. useful. And then I started using Google fit because I'm starting to exercise more and, um, getting all of that information being able to use, different devices for different tasks and have all of them report back to Google Fit as a central input to get all of this. So now I have like one spot to go to get a lot of different information from weight, water, sleep, uh, quality, walks. Um, all of this information mm-hmm. is in one dashboard for me now. Together. Yeah, uh, with charts and all this kind of crap that is very nice to have. And of course, I know I, I am fully intellectually aware of what that means they are doing in terms of tracking and the information they're building about me. And if I had a better solution for some of this stuff, I immediately would probably go somewhere else. So I, I think even if Mycroft gets to the market in a year or two where they're competitive at some of these levels, be it the, uh, the artificial assistant where you can prompt it and ask it questions or whatever mm-hmm. it is, I think if, if people are already like me who are very aware of the problem are still willing to make the concession – as soon as something like this comes along, yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's going to be like uh, I, I got. I'll be an early adopter. We've got to go all in on this. I mean, I think it's it's from people like me to just the average person are going to be really responsive to a product like that. That's that's yeah, a big I, one. I think that what we have to do as a community is consider what we want the future of this stuff to look like. Um, it's it's so crazy how locked down this specific technology is uh with these providers that aren't aren't mycroft <laughs> you know they're they're much more locked down than than let's say like android or which is slowly moving that direction mm-hmm. but there's there's with when it comes to these per, intelligent personal assistants that's really really a black box and what's crazy is they're quickly becoming one of the most intimate things you interact with yeah and yeah, uh yeah. And so what I think is that uh, we should have an answer and, you know, that's what we're kind of trying to do with Mycroft. One thing I wanted to, to get back to is is uh, before we talk about all the crazy stuff going on in this space, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the release because uh, you talked about the third a couple party. things that were in there. Yeah, one thing I want to know more and, about is third party uh, skills and yeah, some things like that too. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that was I'm actually I'm actually that was the end of end of discussion on that. I was kind of clear as to go more back to the uh, point seven release. 
Yeah. So uh, for those with developer kits, we we got a lot of new face animations. Um, <laughs> it's a lot more responsive. We're looking at trying to present data on the face on that little LED array. So like whenever you ask for the weather, it gives a really nice, clean, you know, interface for seeing the weather as well as other things like that. Um, then the third party skills, which you talked about, uh, this is the beginning of uh, something we've been planning for a long time was uh, a way to install third party skills. Right now, you kind of have to literally drop the skills into a directory for them to be loaded at when Mycroft starts. But we're building a, a kind of skill management system that talks to a repo uh, full Ooh, of that's awesome. skills people have submitted. And so the the idea is that you can just add, you know, that's a Roku skill and like just pull various down. other. Oh skills. man, Ryan. Oh man. Uh, the, the thing is there's already third party skills out there. And so we need to get a list of those so that people can start playing with them now. And that's why we kind of accelerated this piece because we keep getting people saying like, Hey, I wrote a skill where you accepted Nicore, <laughs> and we have to walk this line of, yeah, that's a really cool skill, but I don't think most people use that. But right. I know that there are people mm. who will use it. So mm. let's see about getting it, uh, making it installable by people. For instance, there's this one called diagnostic skill, and you can ask it all sorts of questions about your system that Mycroft's running on. So you know what's the what's the CPU usage, what's Ooh, that's uh, fun. the RAM usage, things like that. Uh, then we also saw oh boy, there's lots of skills. So there's my crops a little bit more personal now you can you can say how are you doing hello. hello and he'll so talk to you uh i'm not sure if it's still in there but for a while when you asked him how he's doing sometimes he would tell you uh, a little bit about what's going on uh he he would say like hey i'm doing good i'm busy and then he would list off a few processes that were running that's, on the oh, that's awesome <laughs> yeah that's really funny i secretly use and, arch linux yeah, and we uh, we got a new voice, too. That's cool. Um, In fact, we have that, an example. Popey posted this. I think he's pretty excited by this. Uh, this is this is the new... Uh, 74, Lawrence, Kansas has few clouds and is currently 76 degrees. Yeah, here, I'll, be, I'll start from the very beginning. With a high of 78 and a low of 74, Lawrence, Kansas has few clouds and is currently 76 <laughs> degrees. Certainly a little robotic, Ryan, but that's, that's pretty... really cool. Yeah, I mean, it definitely sounds like Popey. It like, sure does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's We're amazing. Con- yeah, it's pretty awesome. We're continuing to make improvements to that voice, but, uh, but frankly, uh, now I'm very accustomed to it yeah <laughs> and Popey keeps talking to me every day uh fake Pope, Popey. i kind of made you to sleep i kind of makes me want to be able to address the unit as fake Popey. you know that's <laughs> Popey. <laughs> yeah Popey. okay and also i saw there's a debian repo oh i'm excited for that yeah that sounds great so if i'm if i what does this mean can you is it just now a couple of app sources away and now i can install all the minecraft packages so yeah, there we have an we have an app repo. Um, Aaron, our systems administrator, he's been on here before. Ran into a, yep. a problem uh, that we he talked to the packaging community about. So I think that repo will probably be shared out. Um, I would guess tomorrow. Yeah, I don't know if you got the um, memo, Ryan. Uh, we're all about snaps now, so not repos. No flat packs. Oh, flat packs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no snaps. I, I know I'm very, very familiar with Snap, very, very familiar now with Flatpak. 
um, we're we're playing around with those. Um, we have we have a snaps repo up where people wow. can watch as we package that up. Um, and we're just at this point we're just asking for for help on all of our packaging. Um, we want to package in all of the different <laughs> standards for every repo. Uh, as I know that we've been talking a lot about lately with the universal uh, <laughs> uh, all these different universal packaging uh solve yeah all these universal but, uh, solve all problems standards which we're going to talk more about when we get to flat packs uh in a bit but yeah it's yeah but we're just trying to we're just trying to package mycroft in as many to get it to as many different people as possible cool. and that's kind of our focus so if people in the Jupiter broadcasting community want to help us do that that would be great cool. um and then finally we've got uh, if you look at the bottom of the blog post, which uh-huh. I hope that you'll post in the, yep, the show notes, we will. Um, there's a few other projects that we're working on. We're working on a community website um, that has a lot of information for those who are interested in contributing to the open source side of of, of Microp. And then uh, and then we're working on uh, just all this stuff that you can see in GitHub. As far as like we have an issue tracker, and we've just been throwing all of our ideas in there, and so. Uh, we're really getting tons and tons of feedback, and lots of people are submitting um, front ends for Mycroft. We have we now oh, have neat. a plasmoid, uh, awesome. gnome extension, yeah, uh, an electron front end, an Android app. <laughs> oh, cool! Uh, oh so, man! So it's coming in really, really fast, and so fast, in fact, that it, we're finding really, really difficult to answer all the questions as people charge ahead. But that's a great problem to have. You know, what would be a killer and, feature uh, in comparison to the Echo and probably even the Google Assistant and Siri is if somehow all of these – if I had it on an Android device on my desktop and in the hardware device – I know we've kind of mentioned this before. But if somehow all of these were connected in some way where if one of them learned something or could – like if I could say send a telegram to Wes to one of them, all of them could have that functionality without me having to install an app on each one or, some, or install a, a third-party you know feature on each one. Like the, if, if, if at the end of it, of, you know, maybe it's a couple years down the road, these different Mycroft – endpoints all felt like a shared brain truly got us closer to Jarvis and because right now all the other AI assistants they're each their own individual thing like mm-hmm. if if you're using Siri you and you have an iPad and an iPhone and now you're going to have it on the Mac OS you literally you could say you know hey telephone and it will act if they're all in the same proximity they'll all light up and they'll all try to answer the question like a bunch of dummies and each one of them doesn't have any idea that there's another instance of it running now i don't know what the solution is there but if there was some way to make it feel like one cohesive intelligent system ryan is that possible is that within mycroft's future <laughs> yeah it is it's a uh, it was one of our day day one features working on and we're still working to make it so that the units are aware of each other. They live in what we call a domain, and oh. so they have they have uh, oh they're s- supposed to eventually have awareness of each other. And uh, if, for instance, two of them pick up the same thing, uh, go through some very very quick election process to say you're you're in the you're getting the better stream, you're in a better position to answer this question. You go ahead and do it. Huh. And uh, the other thing too is that. We already have shared configuration across instances. I have four Mycroft instances. They have the same settings. Um, oh, and nice. that's all done through our um, back end. 
which is currently named Cerberus. However, hmm. a lot of our backend stuff is is going to be getting a really really big update soon, and so you'll see you'll see maybe that that name go away and and a true um, backend that that really feels comfortable to use and is really uh, a great user experience comes to the forefront. Um, we're we're super super busy, but it's everything's going great, and we're trying to build as much, many relationships right now with um, folks who are packaging software and folks who are interested in working on front ends for Mycroft to just let it permeate to as many different places as possible, and to make that that uh, process of getting started with Mycroft that much easier. Yeah, so, so, I'm, so it's great you guys are working on Snaps. That's have you do you know is it in uh, have packages land started to land in the AUR? That'd be great too. I don't know. The thing is, every time I check out the AUR for a project that I work on, someone has already beat me to it by the time I go to package yeah. it up. <laughs> so uh, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if there was already Mycroft in the AUR. And I'm run. I've got an Arch machine in front of me right now, and I haven't taken the time to to check. But it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me at all. I've been really I've been working really really hard on trying to help people get the information they need to finish their front ends. I'm super interested in the cool. GNOME extension in the Android Yeah, app. that is, is, in there. is looking really good. Uh, so, Ryan, my last question. Uh, are you ever going to make it out to Washington? Because we got oh, a yeah. Mycroft up the JB Studio like nuts. Yeah, I, I actually was just contemplating this uh, the other day. Uh, I Now that we've really got so much done. I'm interested to come out and not only hook up the JB studio, but also lady Jupiter yeah. um, with, with Mycroft. We've got it controlling some things like the nest and um, some early smart thing stuff and Phillips Hue stuff. So maybe we'll also have to, cool. to see if we can figure out some smart things to totally to pimp your place out with. Yeah, that'll be really, that, that is, that's going to be, that's going <laughs> to be so ridiculous, you know, because I actually, uh, Couple of months down the road, I'm going to go on a uh, road trip to go to a, uh, a, a developer summit, and I think I'm going to do like a Lady Jupiter technology rover log video for that. Heck yeah! I probably should have just said that out loud because now I have to do it. Damn it! But yeah, uh, I'm wondering if we can put like a what's your internet connection like when you're in Lady Jupiter? <laughs> Depends on where I'm at. <laughs> Very much. Yeah, so. <laughs> Every anywhere from a megabit, uh, you know, 700 kilobits a second to up to 30, 40 megabits depending on location. Well, the thing that we could do that I think would be really cool is to take like a NUC and hide it somewhere in Lady Jupiter. Yeah. And then connect it to like this complex uh, microphone system throughout the the thing so oh, it's man. just one brain all the time that and, is a, that uh, is a, you know what i actually have really a cool. spot it is there is a spot underneath one of my seats that uh, there's an ac outlet underneath the seat and it's oh, it's an open space and i already have um a linux powered uh uh, access point and uh, router down there. So I'm just kind of going. I was just planning to kind of expand that out, and I got a spot in there for a NUC already. If we got, if we got a dedicated, uh, because I, somebody's been working on an Electron app. <laughs> it'd be cool if you full screen that Electron app on like a display. Oh, oh totally, oh, man, totally, and totally. Then, like that oh, was man. it. Lady, Lady Jupes, you know what would be really cool is Lady Jupes has a uh, outside outdoor television, 
And oh. so, like, when we go to, like, you know, like, summits and Lady stuff. Jube, play the live stream. You put that up. Yeah, put that up on the TV, on the outdoor TV. That would be really crazy cool. <laughs> and actually, we ha- it's all the video is routed to a switcher. So it would be no problem. We just send the feed. Yeah. Right. It's easy peasy. Uh, so it's, uh, people want to know in the chat room, is there anywhere that they can find the Android app yet? Is that out yet? Uh, you can – I would tell everybody to to go to the uh, docs.mycroft.ai and there's a little contributing uh, uh, option there where you can see like all the ways to get involved. And if you join either our IRC or our Slack channel, we've been talking about it a lot lately – um, the community member who's working on it, I'm not entirely certain that he's popped it into the repo yet, but I'm, I'll ask him because I know he's collaborating with somebody else in the community. So they have to be collaborating somehow. So maybe it exists and I just haven't gone and visited. So it sounds it like yet. it is. A, it's an open source Android app. Yeah. Yeah. And it runs the full stack on the, on the device. Too. Wow. Like Mycroft is running on the device. Holy so crap. I want to try. It's that. not hitting an API or anything. We we got a big pull, we got a pull request a while back that took. So this is a core on a Raspberry Pi. So bear this in mind. It took it down from using 100% of one core on a Raspberry Pi to less than one percent, uh, just based on improvements that we made Whoa. to the listener. And so at, since we did that, we've been loading it on many many small devices, and it's been wow. flying. And, That's awesome. And a lot of phones, a lot of Android phones are actually <laughs> more powerful than our Raspberry Pi. So the the from what I saw in the little demo video, and I'll try and share it with you because somebody had he the guy recorded his son talking to his phone you? and the and the Android app answering. Wow. But it it seemed to be running just fine. That's amazing. Fast. So what you're telling me is you you pulled a Richard and you pie pipered this thing and you went from like ninety nine. You just you just like. You just cut it. That's a, an incredible reduction from like a maxing out a CPU core to one percent CPU you just usage. Have everywhere with me. That's what you get. Yeah, for, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it was a community member. He he now is an intern, but he wasn't at the time. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> so, Isn't that right. awesome? And, and so uh, it was. I mean, we can't really take. I mean, I guess we can take credit for it now that he works for us. But we <laughs> at the well, time we couldn't. So that's a huge benefit of being the power open source. Of open source. Yep. Man, yeah. oh, that yeah, feels good. I feel well, Ryan. Thank you for the update. And uh, if no you problem. are able to stick around, we will be getting into flat pack and snaps in a little bit. And I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on that. While you're just mentioning, yeah, yeah, can, yeah go ahead. I, I can say something that gets me yelled at. By good. Everybody. Well, that's what this show is for. You know for. what? I got to tell you. Don't worry. Nobody's listening. Nobody's going to comment afterwards. Or, or say, don't have to worry about that at all, Ryan. There's not even a subreddit <laughs> for it. No, there's not even a subreddit. Uh, you know, we were just talking about the Android phones. Uh, OnePlus 3, you know, the, the new OnePlus phone, which is just it's getting complicated. Yeah, very complicated. OnePlus 3 looks like it's going to become an unofficial Ubuntu phone, though. Uh, there is some interest out there by uh, the ubports.com folks a group of independent developers, they're going to port Ubuntu Touch to the OnePlus 3. This would make the Ubuntu Touch available on a very nice, modern, Man. capable, fast, and very well-reviewed smartphone. I have smartphone. been considering a new smartphone. Maybe yeah. the OnePlus 3 should be my future. Maybe, because it's getting really good reviews, Converge. too. I mean, I want convergence, <clears throat> right? Like, who doesn't? Well, we'll find out how Maru works on your phone right. in just a little bit. Speaking of phones, let's also uh, just take a moment right here. Guess who we're going to talk about, Wes? You have a guess? Ting. Oh, it's Ting. Uh-huh. That's right. 
go over to Ting and check them out. Ting is a little different than anybody else. They don't work like your regular cell phone provider. Ting keeps rates simple. We don't make you pick a plan. Instead, you just use your phone as you normally would. How much you use determines how much you pay each month. All right. You can have as many devices as you want on one account. Okay. That's good. Because when you use more, you pay less per minute, message, or megabyte of data. Is that math Your usage, plus $6 per active device on your account, plus taxes, is your monthly bill. Yeah, it is. Simple. That's what we mean when we say... I get it. Mobile. That makes sense. Yeah, it's your minutes, your message, your megabytes. You just add it up. That's your your ting math. And then it's $6 for the line. And then whatever Uncle Sam's cut is right there. You see, you just got Wes. Boom. That just that is what you get right there. And I got to tell you, Wes, uh, I was sort of all in on Ting just because of the savings when I switched over. I was like, yep, okay, right. well, that seems obvious. <laughs> I want to pay less every month. Yeah. And uh, I have Wi-Fi at home. I have Wi-Fi here at the Studs. I have Wi-Fi at family member's house. I have Wi-Fi at, uh, you know. There's Wi-Fi on the bus these days. McDonald's has yeah, right? friggin' Wi-Fi. Uh, so I was like, "This is going to be great because I will, I'll be able to, I'll be able to game the system." Uh, and so that was sort of what uh, brought me over to Ting. But then what kept me at Ting the first like bit is I kept having these revelations about how they were actually a really cool company and not just like a bullshit like we're hip and so we do blog posts. No, it's like actually there's really cool people that work, uh, and they really get it. And they really are not playing a gimmick. They're not playing a game, and they don't have to wear a leather jacket and a pink shirt. Uh, to to get you to be convinced to switch over, they just make a really simple mobile service. Every device they sell is unlocked, and you own it. The, the customer support you get to talk to a real human being. The control panel allows you to control all aspects of your phone. Oh, that control panel is awesome. It really is super good. Their store you can buy SIM cards, you can buy feature phones, you can get the latest phones, you can bring your own, and they have GSM and a CDMA network for you to pick from. If you're a small business, this is a no-brainer. Really seriously, like. Independent surveys have been done, conducted, and not only, by the way, speaking of that, not only does Ting totally kick ass in consumer reports for their category of provider, I got to tell you what, nobody touches them when it comes to small business plans. If you have like 10 devices and you bring them over, nobody's going to touch Ting. Ten, you go 10 devices and more and it's, it's nuts because it's $6 for each line. A lot of places... The minimum is $15 a line, something like that. And in a business account, it could be even more. And that's even when they cut in some big scale deals. $6 a line. One line, 50 lines. $6. If you want to give somebody an emergency phone, it's $6. CDMA and GSM, which means you can repurpose a lot of your existing phones that still work perfectly fine. Or you can find a great phone off of eBay or buy one right from the Ting store. Go get it from Google Play. Great controls. Great customer service. It's really good service. I think everything about Ting's top and tops. And, you know, they really do actually have a good blog. Like, they constantly are posting interesting stuff there, too. You can check that out. If you start by going to linux.ting.com, you support this show. You can try out their savings calculator and just use that as a litmus test. Does this work for you? It might not. And that's why they have the savings calculator. You can just figure that out right there. You don't need to waste your time or Ting's time. Just try the savings calculator. That won't take long. Linux.ting.com. And then if it does look like it's going to work, like for me, I end up saving like $2,000 every two years. Linux.ting.com. Take $25 off your first device, or if you bring a device, you'll get service credit, which will probably pay for more than your first month. Linux.ting.com. Thank you, Ting. All right, so before we go any further, let's take a little break. Refresh. 
with a free game. Oh, is that a Linux game? I see. Yes, it is, and it's a good one too. I I, I already own this game. Uh, I got it for on sale during the during the sale, but it's Limbo. Which the thing that really stands out about Limbo is it's sort of a platformer, so you have to like the side scrolling platformers. But it's not like a lot of colors and a lot of whiz bang. Oh, it's, it's beautiful. It's dark and it's moody and it's mysterious and it uses lighting and shadows in a way that really no other game has ever before or has since. And uh, it's exceedingly beautiful and also very reasonable to play even like on an Intel chipset. And it works great with the controller. It's a great SteamOS game. It's been out since 2011. So it's not like it's it's brand new, but it's one of these overwhelmingly positively reviewed games. It really is. People love it, and it's freaking free right now. Can't be free. Yeah, if you're listening to the show for the next couple of days, it is free right now, and you can find it in the show notes. So uh, I think that's that's just really super cool. Look at that. Did you see that huge creepy spider? That thing is just... Man, like, that always creeps my kids out. They, they love this game because yeah. it's, it's slightly creepy. So they, they love that. All right, so I believe Mr. Ike is in the mumble room, and that just happens to work out great because... A brand new release of Solace is out, 1.2. Don't call it 1.2, though. Call it Shannon. And uh, it is looking good. I've heard people talk – people people have been talking about the boot speed this morning. That, this is what the chat room is saying this morning as I was setting up. Saying that, they say, Wes, that new Solo S sure boots fast. I've never seen a distribute that fast before. That's what the chat room is saying. Oh. So, Ike, you're doing something right. What's uh, new and notable in the uh, new Shiny release? Ike, I don't hear you. Did he leave? No. Ike, that's your cue. Somebody bring Ike back. Somebody bring Ike back. I don't even see it. Hey, Wes. Where's Ike? I don't know. Jeez Louise. But I do want to give this uh, 1.2 Shannon a try. Yeah, it does look nice. Although, that's such a good setup it, yeah, to, have it, to have it fail like that. I just mm-hmm. feel like, no, I don't want to talk about it. I mean, that was, that was like, uh, I think that was my best setup of the show. What do you think? Yep. You think that was my best setup of the show? You've peaked, Chris. Yeah. I think I just, I think I peaked, and then the the, the payoff uh, wasn't there. Hi. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Man of the hour. So how's audio Uh, working on uh, Solace, uh, Ike? (laughs) Audio is working fine. Uh Uh (laughs) It's great. It's great. Yeah. so it turns out, like, I spent ages earlier setting up this mouse because it's got all these buttons. And I thought, <laughs> I'm going to set that mouse button up there and I'm going to use that one for Mumble. And I'm not going to forget which one it is. Um, there's three of them, not two. So <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I'm here now. <laughs> no worries. Actually, gave me a, gave me a chance to have a little fun. So uh, what is the new shiny in the big release here? Uh, so, I mean, where do we start? Um, I mean, one, yeah, would. 20 days late and you know i can only apologize for that to people um oh so you guys are uh, we- copying fedora huh? uh yeah i mean they we basically turned out the same time as them and before half-life free so <laughs> i'd say you know we're doing all right yeah, there yeah, it's um, the difference it's good yeah i mean it was later than i anticipated but i mean i've not been too well myself lately but you know we we made it uh, represents over three months of work, uh, over 150 bugs fixed, uh, a completely new replacement Steam runtime and the Linux Steam integration, uh, with roughly 160 of the libraries that we've enabled for Steam now being optimized as well. Um, yeah, we've got the epic boot time, obviously. Uh, it's it's been a massive, massive release. So tell me honest. a little bit about this uh, Steam stuff because I got a little wind of this earlier, <clears throat> and uh, I don't really, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not hip with the Steam stuff. But here's my rough understanding of it, Ike, is uh, 
if you got all the if you got all the missing if you have all the necessary libraries that all the different games need, if you use the more modern versions that come with uh, current distros, you often get better performance, less problems than using the prepackaged Ubuntu runtime libraries that are based on an old version of Ubuntu that come with Steam itself. And so, I, I guess some people prefer to use the runtime libraries. Some people people prefer to use native libraries. And you guys have tried to solve this problem. Am I am I tracking? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. I mean, I know that yeah, you yourself like, uh, go between Fedora and Arch and that, so you've probably seen some of the Steam issues yourself. Oh, uh, yeah. On Ubuntu, you know, I mean, people tend to get it easy on Ubuntu up until about 1604. And, um, I was going to say 1610. That's not happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> But these these libraries are like from Ubuntu twelve oh four. So right, yes. I mean, in Linux terms, they are crusty. Um, these are really really old libraries that are built specifically for Ubuntu. I mean, we're talking about libraries that just don't exist in other distributions. Um, they've got different uh, they've got different soul names. You have got like uh, curl g and u t l s, which are specific Ubuntu and Debian things. So what we decided hmm. to do is like okay. One, this is nonsense, right? Yeah. Uh, we build Solus and we optimize it for uh, our users. And it's like, okay, so if we're going to have to do some hacks here to get it work, well, we're going to make sure we do it properly. So we took what would constitute the full runtime and just started building everything and disabled Steam from an install runtime. So we've got something called Linux Steam Integration, which basically replaces user bin Steam. So this shim will run instead of that. And we made sure it doesn't leak or anything like that. And it replaces itself with the Steam process afterwards. So when we disable their runtime and we use ours, you actually get nice integration. So you'll actually see things like uh, font config is actually working. You get all the right font mm, rendering wow. come through. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen it on Archer or on other distros, but you'll see the, the fonts are ever so slightly out of line. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. buttons along the top of Steam, they're all kind of drunk as well. So it fixes those issues. The The tray will be natively themed as well, which it's those little touches which really, really help. But the, the main thing really was the performance. Those were advantages that came afterwards. Um, you can disable our runtime and forcibly use Steam's because... Ours is new. There's there's going to be things we haven't tested yet. Um, we were responsible and tested 100 titles in the first 24 hours. Hmm. <laughs> we, it was our duty, right? It's not, but that also <laughs> sounds like a good idea just from – you could see some game developer be oh, yeah, well – that distribution's doing their own weird thing with Steam, you know. So that gives that gives the person a reset button and say, "Okay, well, I'm testing it with the native runtime, and I'm still having the problem." Yeah, that's yeah. True. I mean, they they can do either way, and there's even a third option if you like. Hmm. Um, so one of the the games of well, there was two of them. Counter Strike Go wasn't working for me. I don't remember if you guys saw the update a couple of weeks ago. Basically, something went wrong when they suddenly switched it to use 64-bit only on CSGO. Uh, It still shipped with the 32-bit version, so I thought, aha. (laughs) So I added a a tweak in there, which, you know when you run things via the Linux 32 command line? uh, It basically forces things into a 32-bit environment. So I added that support inside of LSI. So Steam will then be tricked into running only 32-bit versions of the applications. So what that does is for CSGO, I'm able to use the native runtime in 32-bit mode. And for Goat Simulator, a very serious strategy game, (laughs) 
you're able to run that in 32-bit with Steam's runtime because that uses some <laughs> special NVIDIA physics libraries. You are doing so, the Lord's work there. That's great. It, it's, you know, somebody's got to do these things, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> why not me? <laughs> so that's all coming in the new update. Uh, and so along with that, do you, uh, do you uh, package it all up with a uh, um, like an update mechanism or is it sort of a nuke and pave process? Uh, no, I mean, people can update. Um, so in terms of the packages they've already got installed in the system, those will change, right? So whatever updates you got through there, like uh, security updates and things like that, those are going to come through. Uh, between Solus 1.1 and 1.2, we decided to change how we put certain packages together. Mm. Uh, new distributions are coming out, and they're starting to use Budgie, and we thought, well, maybe those patches we've been doing aren't quite the best approach. Um, so we'll try and set an example, show people how you can actually ship a distribution or an operating system, uh, just to be pedantic, and show them how you can actually have all the presets in place and how you do the configuration. So we added a couple of packages. One of them is Solus Hardware Config, which takes care of um, certain mouse configurations like the, the Rat5 mouse and things like this, and Budgie Desktop Branding, hmm. which contains all of the live CD configuration and all the tweaks that were needed for GSENs uh, for basically the Budgie experience we now offer. So those are them, those don't come through as an update. They're basically going to have to be opt-in. So the, the package selection is very much dependent on the ISO you downloaded. You can upgrade and install those things as well. But if you're already on 1.1, you'll just get the normal updates that come through. Of course, you're still going to get all the, the optimizations that come through for all the lower libraries as well. So you will still benefit. Um, it just won't look exactly the same or won't have exactly the same software installed. It's, Jeez, it's easy to do, though. That sounds like a lot of thought is going into every single it really does. thing about this uh, release. Uh, is, there, is there something that you work on that uh, you think a lot about that you don't even – you assume probably people don't even notice. Like, is there something in here that people miss? Like, what is it? Like, I always know when I'm when there's something I work on, there's something that I just, I just sweat the details on, and then after I'm done, I'm like, did anybody actually even notice that? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, well. I mean, it's going to be like that way for me for for a lot of things. I mean, you know yourself, once you put something out, like you say, you sweat on something, it, it's not so much when someone doesn't notice that as they notice something far more insignificant. <laughs> and I, <laughs> yeah. Yes. And that's the killer. So, I mean, not as insignificant. So we've had a bit of a UX update, and we've actually been lucky enough. Um, I mean, I think you guys know yourselves, but... Uh, the, the guy behind the ARC theme, um, Horst3180, mm-hmm. we've worked directly with him for a long time now. And with him, we actually just redesigned the Budgie Desktop, and that's how Budgie Desktop 10 came around, like designed by the, the-, uh, the theme offer. Wow. Um, yeah, so like it was literally called ARC Desktop for a long time. Yeah, okay. It, that was the code name of it. Um, he's helped us a lot more with getting things together this time, and we now have the ARC icon theme as well. So within 40 minutes of it having a Git repo, it was the default in Solus. He'd <laughs> 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 be on the cards for a while. Uh, Sam Hewitt has also helped us a lot with UX design this time around. Um, I mean, you all, you all know Sam, right? <laughs> He, uh, uh, what, uh, Sam, I don't know, I probably know, I probably know him by a handle, I probably don't know him by Sam. So, Sam Hewitt, the guy behind the paper theme, uh, the guy oh, from okay. the okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah sure. That guy, right? Okay. That guy. 
for Ubuntu. Yeah, so um, he's helped us with designing the the software center, giving like uh, little hints and tips and fixes and mockups for that, as well as the installer itself. So, uh, how how has adoption been? Uh, adoption? I haven't a clue. Um, <laughs> when did we release? Uh, early yesterday. Well, I just mean as a whole. I, I don't mean one particular release. I mean, I, as a uh, community, do you get a sense that it's, there's growth there, that things are picking up? Or what is your sense? Yeah, I mean, definitely. There's there's a lot of people really now starting to get it. Um, I mean, Solus goes against the grain in so many ways. And it's it's never easy to explain exactly in one sentence to people. It's like, you know, this is what Solus does. And they're like, well, why not use Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, insert something here? It's like, well, because... Kill me if you want, but I don't think it works. <laughs> and we have to do some. There's so many things that we do that are so fundamentally different that we couldn't do as a downstream. So explaining those things, but people are now realizing that, and you do see comments now. People are like, "I can actually see why you did this from scratch. Like it was designed to avoid the problems in the first place. Mm. Like it's not like we're somehow." superior to or holier than other people we've taken that experience and i've taken my own experience in doing this as well and folded it into something new that's pretty cool and i I think it's always it always after we chat it always makes me want to download it so i'll download the new release and give it an install i'm looking forward to that so i always like using something there's a lot of thought and intention that goes yeah you get really a lot of passion and yeah well ike thanks for the update anything else you want to touch on um uh, Maybe that crazy no. mouse. I don't know. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I mean no, because it only fire things up. <laughs> I, you are you are welcome to stick around. I I know. I think I saw you mention something on Google Plus. You're getting lots of questions about snaps in uh, Solus. So if you want to stick around for that discussion coming up in a few minutes, you are welcome. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'll bite. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, just really quick, I just wanted to give a mention because it's happening right now as we record the show. DockerCon is going on and they're integrating something that I'm, I'm hoping Wes can explain to me what it is because uh, I think it's kind of a big deal. Uh, Docker is integrating orchestration right into the core Docker engine with their new release. This is some of the big news that's coming out of DockerCon going on in Seattle. So, Wes, uh, you've seen probably some of the shenanigans as a result of DockerCon. I've certainly seen a lot of people with really cute little whales walking around, yeah. which, hey, that's not bad. So you're probably, you're probably seeing all of the, all of the uh, DockerCon traffic. So uh, container orchestration, if I'm understanding what that there means, Wes, now, you'll have to forgive me. I haven't been a sysadmin for a couple of years now, but uh, that's another fancy way of saying like a framework to manage all of your containers and spin them up on different machines and shut them down and delete them and, and, and version them and standardize them and things like that, correct? Yeah, so it's like, uh, as, as they say here, container orchestration is what is needed to transition from deploying containers individually on a single host to deploying complex multi-container apps on many machines. Yeah, okay. So yeah, as you're growing your cloud, maybe you're on other people's infrastructure, you're on your own infrastructure, you need something that will help you take your single little Docker instances and actually scale them, you know, make sure they fit into the roles, you know, integrate with your configuration management. There's a lot of ways to do this, and now even, there's something built right into Docker. I could even see a scenario where you have four or five DigitalOcean droplets that you spin up containers on demand for. Like I've been, like I was just playing with Fedora 23 today. Um, so to me, it seems like what Docker just announced is they're going to take a huge part of the Docker ecosystem and integrate it into the core functionality of Docker. Like last time I was at DockerCon was last year around this time. It was LinuxCon DockerCon. And the number one uh, industry at DockerCon is container management. 
and orchestration of containers. Right. And they just announced they're integrating that into the core. And it's some I read about it. It's some badass stuff. It's it's like it's 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 it allows you to do swarms of Docker containers with just a couple of commands and set up clustered Docker containers with a few more commands and you don't really have to really worry about any of the quote unquote you don't have to worry about it quote unquote underlying technology. <laughs> right. Uh, and they're building that into core Docker using just the Docker command line. I mean, this is like a massive thing, right? So we'll probably see it, you know, rolling out and everywhere. I haven't, I haven't played with it yet, so it'll be interesting. I don't know, how, you know, how we'll see. Like, will other people adopt it? Will it be wrapped around by other systems like Kubernetes or you know all that kind of right. stuff? Right? Yeah, that's a that's a good point. So we'll just be watching and see what happens. And uh, I don't know. That's probably all we really need to talk about here on this show. I, I imagine. I, I but don't I'm know. sure there's lots of news. I looked over the the talks. There was a lot of interesting yeah. stuff. Uh, yeah. Microsoft's giving a talk about how. The containers uh, on Windows are going. If you know, that's your thing, you know what I, you know what I really don't like about the. So I've been following the Docker Conf thing just to see if there's stuff for us to talk mm-hmm. about, and so I saw the Microsoft talk, and you know what the really uh, arrogant thing about the Microsoft talk was, is Microsoft positioned their entire talk as well. Now that Microsoft's getting involved with uh, Docker containers, now now Docker's coming to the enterprise. Mm-hmm. Now, now it's production ready. Now Docker's production ready. Meanwhile, those those SOBs are running it in a virtualizer on their Windows platform. It's not even a true container. Like, there's such a bunch of posers. They're so desperate to make their Windows platform relevant that they're bending over backwards to make Linux containers run on their platform as easy and thinly as possible using their virtualizer. And then they have the sack to say, well, now Docker's arrived to the enterprise. I will say the the Mac support is kind of neat, just that they're using XHive, which is ported over from, from our Beehive. friends at FreeBSD. Yeah, which is that's pretty neat. Isn't it interesting to see one of the first things that Beehive does when it, in a large production scale is bring Docker containers <laughs> no, <to> back up? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, full sorry, circle, guys. Everyone. Welcome full circle. to BSD Unplugged. Uh, you know, it's just one of those things. It just happens. Uh, okay, so. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. You know, speaking of uh, uh, Beehive, uh, it just got uh, Windows um, video support, so you can uh, VNC into that oh, thing. You don't neat. have to do it over hey, a serial console. Yeah. That's a big usability win. Speaking of DigitalOcean, let's take a moment and talk about DigitalOcean. You got a container you want to deploy? Do it over at DigitalOcean. Now, uh, I we've been talking about Docker, but uh, Wes here, you do uh, LXD containers in production on DigitalOcean. And uh, what do you like about the LXD containers over the Docker containers? Well, I, you know, they're just a little more – I mean, Docker works well if I was, you know, making maybe like a big fleet of microservices and using orchestration tools and that sort of thing. Um, Docker may be something I would look to be using. Uh, LXD containers are nice because they they really are act a lot more like VMs, which is something I'm familiar with. And I get all of my regular Linux tools for admin, right? So, like, I know how to, to use, like, systemd and journal control and all that kind of stuff to manage services, et cetera. It's all the same tools. And then I can just spin them up. Transfer them server to server. So it's simpler make copies, in some regards. Snapshots. It's very simple. And if the you don't need really a nice. huge enterprise grade thing, you just want a few containers. Yeah, it's all, you know, I, I can, I basically set up a system, turn it into an image. I can then just update the image when I need to. I can transfer so, it and then just make as many it, images as I want. Are there LXD container images like there are Docker? Like, could I, could I go grab a, a pre set up LXD container to be lazy or does it pretty much build it from scratch each time? Uh, well, so they, they are like actual image, image files, right? So they're, they're tarred up. File okay. systems, so they sit uh, so as if on the file system as an image. Oh, okay. Well, and then and, and then, then are there is there like a place you can find pre-built ones? Yeah, so they have like a, a repository, and then you can also the nice part is that they all have a REST API, and then they'll all just you can like if you have your own, you can then share images with any two servers that you want to let talk to each other. Oh, and so it's also the, really easy to make. Like you pretty much just take any 
install that you want. You can trim it down, you know, install, uninstall packages or build it up minimally. And then the format's really easy. It's like you make two tar files. One's metadata. One's the file system. You you run like load it into That's an nice. image and then you can use it. It's so really what's easy. the process like of getting LXD running on a on a droplet on DigitalOcean? Well, uh, use like Ubuntu 16.04, mm-hmm. it's there by default, and then oh, so it's like seconds. type LXC. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Pretty much, right. You type LXC, and then it generates a client certificate, and then you can get started. And nice. You can pretty much do like LXC launch Ubuntu. I think. Um, huh. I, you know, I think I'm going to play with that for a bit because I was messing around with Docker, but I was on Fedora, but I was messing around with Docker and uh, it did feel like it was more, way more than I needed really. So that's interesting that you say that. So you go over to DigitalOcean and if you use our promo code DO Unplugged, DO Unplugged, one word, lowercase, that'll give us a little bit of support, a little bit of like, hey, yeah, they're, they're, uh, that Unplugged show is sending traffic our way. That keeps us going. But it also gives you a $10 credit and you can try out like a droplet for a while. They have hourly pricing, so the uh, droplet you may use may not need to be on all the time. And then that five oh, that five dollar, uh, or they have a five dollar a month if you want to just run it for a month or whatever. Like they have a really flexible pricing structure, so the ten dollar credit could actually get you quite a bit of distance. And all their rigs have SSDs, so it's a nice fast I/O. They have data centers all over the world. They run Linux uh, for the for the host, KVM for the virtualizer, forty gigabit e connect- connections into the hypervisors. Tier one bandwidth at the data centers and the best interface. I mean, and, and it's not even like a good interface for a web application. It is a good it's interface for managing it. Yeah. yeah. You know, what was sweet is today when I was uh, – I decided to, uh, to install a whole bunch of crap on this Fedora droplet that I have. And um, it was really super, super nice to just go in there and have the HTML5 console pop up. And I was able to watch the console, you know, spit oh, out information that. while I'm SSH'd in. So my SSH session feels fast and native and, and just, you know, as in fact, sometimes I even use Mosh, which oh, yeah, is totally. Yeah. Which really makes it feel like I'm sitting right there. And but then to still have like the uh, to have in a separate window on my second monitor, the actual console of the droplet is just the best, dude. I love the you know, if you break interface. anything, it's just right there. And it, it took uh Four seconds to uh, reassign a, a DNS uh, host name to the Fedora. It's like I was like, you know, I want to change the name of this Fedora machine. So I used uh, host CTL, host name CTL, whatever it is. Uh, is that host name CTL to set the mm-hmm. host name? And I set the I set the machine name and the icon name. Uh, and then in DigitalOcean, I just copy and paste just because over the interface, when you hover over the IP, it gives you the option to copy the IP right. So boom, boom, pasted, updated the A record. Done. And because the DNS was already pointing to DigitalOcean's name servers, it was yeah. SSH immediately. And I was up and working. I'm installing, just experimenting. I'm hoping, I'm hoping to eventually get like a nice, secure, open source location tracking program that, us, oh, that we can have for yeah. family members. Uh, and also when production – like during Linux Fest, we can have like crew members installed totally. if they want. You'd be like, oh, they're still at the hotel. Oh, they're on their way. Yeah, exactly. And But I don't want to use any hosted service and so right. uh, I wanted a rig to try these out on. And to be able to install these different packages and stuff, it just it, – the fast internet access, that HTML5 console, it's a great Plus setup. Plus you can take snapshots if you need to. Mm, right? I did. If you're worried about oh, yeah, breaking I, it. You're just like, I did. Mm, peace yep, of mind. Yep. DO Unplugged to get the credit and support this show. So tell me about Maru, which uh, seems to promise real big, Wes. For those of you out there that aren't familiar with it they their head their tagline is your phone is your pc now available for the nexus 5 it's a new kind of computing experience we've talked about it in the past it's based on debian and supposedly it's context aware you plug into a big monitor and boom you get a big old linux desktop is it true 
in my experience so far, I mean, it hasn't been perfect, and I haven't tried it extensively, but I do have it running right here on my phone. So is it an app on Android that runs in a virtual environment? I mean, so is that Android I'm seeing right now, or yeah, is here, that the phone you are? Take the, uh, that is, that's Android. Okay, I mean, this but is that's, Android. that's Mario OS. So it looks just like what we're seeing in the video right now is exactly yep. what I'm seeing. But this is... I have multi-ROM, so I just booted right into it. So this is Mario OS yep. running Android? I think it is Android. And, I, mean, I thought it, it was Debian-based. I, it may just launch a Debian userland. I'm not actually sure how okay, it works. Okay, so how do, I, how do I initiate a different desktop experience? I don't think we... Unfortunately, I don't think we can without oh. the right cable, which oh, I right. do have. So yeah, we can, if we want to set up a demo... Or um, I can film it and yeah, I see what you're saying. It. Yeah, because of course you'd have to plug it in, yep. right? But you plug it in and it just uh, you know um, XFCE desktop launches. Uh, you need like a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse, which uh, I, I tested. Uh, there's some problems, and I did run into this where the Bluetooth mouse is like a little leggy. Uh, they suggest just turning it off and on or turning Bluetooth off and on. That did not fix it for me. I have not been able to fix it, but I have not tried that much. Uh, so it may already be fixed, or it may just be something I need to configure. Uh, but the keyboard worked perfectly. It was otherwise, it was like fast. It was responsive. I've seen some videos of people using Blender, using GIMP. So it, it appears to be running Android 5.1. Uh, and it says, is Maru, uh, Maru on the Nexus 5 is the version, version 0.2.3. Kernel version 3.4.0 GEAA8415. Uh, and so it's very much right now a pure Android experience. Mm-hmm. So it does mean you've now had to downgrade from Marshmallow to Android 5, but in exchange, without a reboot, no, no reboot, nope. you plug in the HDMI cable to this son yep. of a gun, and you're telling me it goes, they, it, it, you get a, it just, it, it just it, pops right up. Instantly expands to an XFCE desktop, because this is not an XFCE launcher on the phone right now. Nope. Yeah, it just, uh, it will just. And what happens on the phone screen? It stays, you can use the phone too. You can use both. So it, it is running as a so Android remains running on the phone. Yep. So it is must be an Android app then. And so like we usually just wanted to go um, like fall asleep. Uh, what do they call that? Doze. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then so it'll it'll keep everything on. Otherwise, if you like explicitly lock it, it can sometimes trigger the screensaver in the uh, other window. But huh. Otherwise, it it really works very well. So in what scenario could this actually be practical? Because here we are, you want to show it to me, and yet without the hardware, you can't actually do anything. So you have to have the cable. You Everywhere. have to have the slim port cable. Everywhere you go, you'd have to have somewhere to plug that into. Yep. So you have to also have to have an external monitor ready to go. And a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse. Yep. Those two are fairly easy, and I suppose if you, ha- you might have them anyway uh, if you have a tablet or something. This is starting to seem not. extremely – I mean – now, now that you actually have to live with this in practice, all the dependencies to actually be able to use this as a desktop yep. machine is really kind of making it limited. Because at some point you're going to go, well, I could also just go get a Chromebook. You could just get a Chromebook, especially now that they're running the Android apps. Yeah. You know, and, and I haven't tried it that much. And you would, you know, and you are kind of surrendering, like, if you're not going to go to the trouble of having a computer and you're just using your phone and you have, like, you know, you bring your phone to work and then you plug your phone into your keyboard and, you know, and monitor, then you're left with the computing power of the phone. Here's what I would rather have for me. I would rather have a really easy image that allows me to run Google's version of Android so I can get my monthly security updates. That's why I buy a Nexus phone. And then I would like something like multi-ROM or but maybe like a fork of it or something that easily reboots me into another OS that can still access the Android data or something to that degree. Oh, Because I don't want to forfeit having modern Android. At the same time, uh, I'm, it's probably only now that you mentioned this. It's only like a couple of work case scenarios at best. Wes, you could have a dock and a keyboard and a mouse at work, and a dock and a keyboard and a mouse 
at home mm-hmm. and you could go between home and work but that it's not like you're going to go to a coffee shop and use it no. you're not coming here to the studio and using it unless you put a dock here like at really at a certain point the the overhead of having to just reboot into a dedicated OS that is designed for a desktop computer I don't know. And then all I'm doing is using my phone all day, which is like I have a lot more powerful computers I'd probably want to huh. use. I don't know. But I it mean, is an interesting idea. And the and I am, is better than you thought. It, I, mean, it, the, I mean, XFCE doesn't really need that much, but it, it was working fine. I, I haven't installed a lot. Like I haven't tried taxing it. I'm, I'm going to try to play with it more this weekend. But Anybody in the mumble room have any questions for, for uh, Wes's uh, test drive with Maru OS? I guess, yeah, North Ranger. What, you were going to say what's the point of having to reboot? Yeah, I mean, Android is running a Linux kernel, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it, is it really that much overhead having the extra Android user land kind of shoved to the side if you're ultimately booting up an X server and running a desktop shell anyway? Probably not. It probably yeah. depends on how they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll have to do some more research to see what I can find out. And it only supports the Nexus 5 at this point, which is kind of a bummer because... Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I like it. It's still working for me, but it's definitely feeling old. Yeah. Uh, so does this change your anticipation at all one way or the other for Ubuntu phone? So you mentioned getting the OnePlus 3 because, yeah, you know, you're thinking maybe upgrading in the future. I'm uh, thinking about that, yeah. Does it – now that you've tried this, does – has this chilled your your um, opinion of convergence at all? I mean I think I'm still waiting for like the – like you said, I'm, I'm waiting for like the real use case in my life. If there was like a really powerful device and I did have, you know – it's just it's not. Just, there's just a lot of things to bring around. You can't carry a screen, a keyboard, and a mouse with you everywhere you and the cable everywhere you go. One one use case I could maybe think of is like um, my my wife, for instance. She's an artist, so she has a little Cintiq small screen that she carries around with her. That might be something if you could connect it to something like that, yeah. where like you don't you're already carrying around a screen for some reason. Maybe in that case, but yeah. that's pretty niche. N three, you had a question. Yeah, um, is it running Mirror like? Oh yeah, what did, did we figure out what the what the Linux Display Manager was? Because I don't, I don't, I didn't see anything on their website about it. There's not that much information on the website. There is a Google group for um, like development. Yeah, hmm. yeah. I don't think they actually have the uh, info, but we will link to the page if you guys want to dig through it. Uh, and then I saw JM. You had a question. JM B B B B B Z. Go ahead. B B Z. Yeah. Can you make phone calls and text and things when you're in desktop mode when you're docked? I have not tried a phone call, but texting, I've been using other apps. That, that stuff all seems to work. Yeah, so the full, the full Android OS is working, yeah. huh? Hmm. And so if, if people have more questions, too, like I'll be happy to you know, film a little thing or film me using it or stress testing it if there's things people want me to try. Is there Google Apps on there? Not no. yet. No, no it's pretty yeah. minimal. It looks like here I'm reading, I'm reading a thread right now on how to get the Google Apps on there, though. Uh, in fact, it's interesting. Hmm. It's kind of revealing on how they do this. Does it feel kind of snappy when you're using it in desktop mode, or does it feel like you're we're running off a phone? It, it really didn't feel very leggy. I mean, the mouse was like a little bit, but I was using the. I pulled up a terminal. I was yeah. browsing the web. Like huh. that. That part wasn't leggy at all. Yeah, it is. It is. There is. Oh boy. I, you know, uh, the uh, the Motorola lap dock is really the best scenario. Mm-hmm. That's really what you need is something like that. And those are you can still find them on eBay every now and then, but. Uh, that that would make that where if you had something that was in your bag that was lightweight, that extra battery, LCD screen, and a keyboard. Yes, exactly. They're out there. You should they are. the Motorola laptops out there. Um, all right. So, any other any other notes on the Maru or any other questions? No. All right. Then we shall move forward because I want I do want to talk about uh, the snaps and flat packs here for a mm-hmm. second. Uh, but before we go any further, let's take a moment 
and thank Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged is where you go. That's a platform to learn more about Linux and the technology around it. Not just Linux itself, although that's a huge part of Linux Academy, and not just the core essentials and all the expert things around it. Yes, all that stuff. Yes, it's true. It's true. But also a lot of projects built around it. So things like Ruby or things like Nginx or things that are tangentially related like the entire OpenStack setup or Amazon Web Services. This is all different aspects. And – even to that end, now Linux Academy is introducing Microsoft Azure Essentials. How about that? Because you know what? Azure is a competitive cloud computing platform that runs a whole ton of Linux. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and so they've uh, launched a, a courseware on that, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, and they've also recently launched a new social uh, note card system where you can fork note cards and get really good learning stacks. They have scenario-based labs that put you in the middle of everyday common day tasks. They have instructor mentoring, which is slick and also a little bit of secret sauce, and the graded server exercises for those of us who just don't test so well. It's nice knowing, like, getting oh, some verification, so right? Like, you you're just shaking? like, yes, I actually did learn that thing. That's me shaking because I was taking a test. Yeah, it's really nice. It's a good platform stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. And if you go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged, you get our great discount. I love the fact that they spin up a server on demand that you get to SSH in just as the courseware calls for it. You choose the distro, it modifies the courseware and the, and the uh, machine they spin up, which is nice. And the other thing is, and boy, I could have used this a few years ago, is if you're learning some of the Amazon Web Services stuff, they're managing all of that for you so you yeah. don't have surprise bills. You don't have to worry about their complicated setup. You don't have to like go get your boss to give you the credit cards. So that way they can pay for it. Now, none of that, it's all just part of the – it's all just built into the Linux Academy courseware. Check it out, linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. All right, guys. So uh, we had the official announcement that flat packs were released this week. And I thought since it's newsworthy, it came out uh, literally today, it's worth talking about here on the Unplugged show. And uh, I, don't, I don't know where to go with this without just putting it all out there. And hopefully people uh, – so on the Linux Action Show, by the time we got to the Linux Action Show on Sunday, people had really, really like drawn a line in the sand and picked a side in the new universal packaging war. And uh, there was a, a full-on response, a lot of it from the Red Hat folks, about Canonical's PR strategy. And there was, a, there was some attacks, some of which we covered in the Linux Action Show. And it got really kind of ugly fast. Mm-hmm. A lot of focusing on the PR initiative. Yep. Uh, a lot of talk about how, how they use distribution names. And I think, you know, that is worth thinking about and having a discussion yeah, I think about. that is a fair discussion. But I was really disappointed to see they didn't go after the technical merits. Yeah, that's where I'm most interested. Uh, I wanted to take a moment, though. And just point something out that really rubbed me the wrong way once I came to the realization. A lot of the posts on the mailing lists, on the blogs, on Twitter, even today actually. I'm still seeing them even today. About how Canonical is manipulating the PR in this. Uh, One of the Fedora mailing list developers, they said, Canonical beat us to the marketing punch. And then they focused on this aspect so much that I realized what bothered me about it 
Is Wes? Can you do? Can you? Can you? Uh, do you have a web browser on that? I sure do. Can you go to opensource.com for me? I'll go there with you too. Let's all go there. Opensource.com. Let's yeah. Let's let's give them some traffic. Uh, what do you, what do you, what, how would you describe opensource.com, Wes? I do see a big friendly red hat right in the top right corner. Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh, this is opensource.com is an extremely valuable domain name. It's, uh, now, especially picture the outsider coming into the Linux ecosystem wanting to learn more about open source. This has got to be one of the biggest pieces of real estate in, in Linux in the open source ecosystem, opensource.com. This is an outfit that is funded by Red Hat. Damn near all of the writers write for are employed by Red Hat. The ones that don't are Red Hat friendly. I mean, no disrespect to the people. I know some of them that run this, and they're fine people. But this is literally, this is literally one of several propaganda fronts the Red Hat finances to gently nudge the news coverage in the Linux ecosystem on a fucking hourly basis. I just... Wait, which... This company is among many tech companies that makes and establishes PR outlets, works with journalists, hires Red Hat-friendly people to write things. This is something that all of them do. And I understand that the Fedora project is not directly, directly hooked up to Red Hat, but mm-hmm. let's be honest, it's, it's a Red Hat project. So to come after Canonical for just having a successful PR launch... Should they have name-dropped distributions? Maybe, maybe not. I think you could quibble about that. Should, he, should have Mark Shuttleworth taken a pot shot at Flatpak saying that 95% of contributions come from one person? No, I don't think so. But you can't fault them for working with different outlets, for doing interviews, for people behind the scenes working with projects, making sure they understand the snap package format troubleshooting problems they run into, directly outreaching to work with them. That's not manipulation. And see, if you read some of the posts, they all essentially go like this. Canonical manipulated the PR. They didn't want to go with some other, somebody else's technology. And then the conclusion is, if they really wanted to make this a community effort, they should have come around and talked to us all. They didn't follow the process. They didn't follow the rule. That's the same line of thinking that prevents women from joining different groups and industries or, or, or singles out minorities. They didn't follow the process. They didn't go through the proper channels. It is a contribution that happens organically. They, everybody treats it like it's some master Shuttleworth plan. Like Mark Shuttleworth is up in his moon tower up there plotting the global dominance of Linux, and his master plan is to manipulate the tech press – and get them to all orchestrate his brand new package format so that way he can declare dominance and earn all of the millions of dollars by coming up with this technology. And so when, when Canonical releases something, instead of going after it on its technical merits, we go after it on the evil Canonical once again trying to, do, trying to drop something in our laps just like Upstart and Mir. It's all part of Shuttleworth's master plan. It just gets so right. old. And, 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 the, and the constant attacks on the PR are, are so unfounded. Like, and the Linux Foundation is just as guilty. Mm-hmm. They also have donor-friendly writers who write puff pieces and don't even disclaim it's being financed by these companies. 
Again, so manipulation. The, Go ahead. The flat pack thing was interesting because they were saying that you know Ubuntu was not working with the community and trying, and they're trying to you know build this stuff because the whole not invented here thing. Except for the fact that Snap was created first, and there's there's the flat pack is the actual not invented here. And, you know, and you know the, I don't even I don't do we really even but, care which win was created when because no, it seems like no we don't care it's just that's what they're saying but the more important part is that they're saying these things about how uh, he's like when he was saying that ninety five percent of the work he probably didn't actually tally it up but it but the people who were saying it, it was not ninety five it's seventy five that's a significant number still. Like well, what's you're the caring okay. about yeah but it's 100% not that yeah it's 100% canonical contributors to snap and snapd and i mean really i mean at the end of the day it is a there's a red hat initiative and there's a canonical initiative to be honest with you i think, there, I think you, his point was it was 100% it was he i think he was saying not necessarily it was 95 red hat it was 95 one person i think what's interesting about the snap initiative is the work to get it on the other distributions a lot of that was community driven People were interested in getting Snap packages on their distribution, so they put the work in. Again, it wasn't some sort of like canonical master plan. Once there was momentum, canonical pushed some of the final bits into piece, made things work, did the Which outreach. Is, I mean, in their interest, for sure. That absolutely makes sense. But yeah. I, I, you, could, you can honestly see how this was an organic, like, well, let's create something that solves our problem. Oh, there's some interest here. Well, if there's interest here, we just have to do this, 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 and then now, okay. I mean, you could almost see how it just fell in their lap. Mm-hmm. Like, if... Like, they're lucky in some sense, and yet it's from their own doing. But I, the reaction is it's part of this master strategy. And that, that, that mentality that comes out brings us all to war, and then everybody picks their side. And I intentionally, in the Linux Action Show, was like, there's a lot of different technologies here. I don't know which one's going to work. I think the security sucks on all of them right mm-hmm. now. And I just think this solution is inevitable at some point. That was my core point yeah. to Linux Action Show, and I got emails you have to stop ranting. That was a horrible rant. Chris is per, Chris, Chris is supporting snap packages. Chris is is a, is a flat is a is a flat pack. Uh, uh, yes, man. Like that's just stupid crap that I can't even I can't even believe. Everyone knows you're for app image. I mean, come on. <laughs> I just don't care. Yeah, I mean, right, exactly. I mean, we just need a successful technology. We uh, hopefully we can all figure it out without too much of the same thing. So, with that said. With that said, Flatpak, I think, is an interesting solution. Yeah, totally. Uh, I am an, I am I'm a little un, uncertain that it's going to be the long-term winner for a couple of reasons. It's very desktop-focused, and yep. that's a point I meant to mention in the Linux Action Show, where snaps are definitely more designed for server, Internet of, of Things devices, and desktops. And if you think about the huge-ass server market – just having all of the momentum that snaps just okay how can i say this you know what i'm trying to say wes is because snaps are going to be supported are going to support server installations there's going to be there's just going to be more snaps by raw numbers mm-hmm. right there there will there will be just way more snaps because it supports server stuff and because it works on ubuntu than app images probably ever just right there and then the fact that because i i would think all, there's going to be so many people familiar with creating snap packages for the server that there's going to be a lot of knowledge sharing that is going to just sort of, I think, be a snowball effect for snaps. Well, and that makes a lot of sense too, like with how they're, you know, how Poppy was talking last week about how it works with how they're mounting that at boot time. Like, so everything will be there. Like, you can just spin up a Ubuntu droplet, install your snap, and now you're running your your binary with all the dependencies handled for you, and it's super easy, right? So, J6 points out in the chat room that after the Linux Action Show, 
uh, the blog I was reading, Adam's blog I was reading, which again, I like Adam. I think he's a nice guy. The blog I was reading, he updated his, his post to say, oh, and I guess there's this thing called App Image. Like they weren't even aware of App Image. Okay. So, so maybe there's something to say like was prior enough prior research done? Maybe not. I don't know. But I wanted to see – I wanted to give uh, – oh, go ahead. Go ahead. And start. Let's start. Let's go to the mobile room. So the the app image thing is funny because app image has been around the longest. Yes, and right. Yeah, it's, and there's like project shipping with app images right now. Yeah, one of them by the uh, creator of the kernel we all speak about on the time. <laughs> yeah, it's just unbelievable. So, but the funny part is like this. It's all about the like the main core problem is that all this hatred towards Ubuntu, whether it's like whether it's even technically justified or not, they. They just want to jump on as many things as possible. So, for example, when Snappy was first released in 1604 and it was big, big press, the first thing people said was, well, they just made it for Ubuntu. They don't care about any other distro. And then when they show that they're working with the community to actually make it for all other distros as much as possible and as soon as possible, well, that doesn't count anymore. Like that, let's completely ignore the fact that the one, the main complaint we had is now completely voided. Let's make, let's find another reason to hate them. Yeah, I think that's definitely a component. I, I think what makes it sort of murky is there is also a technical argument to be made and there is also uh, legitimate concerns and questions about the CLA and about their closed back end. Mm-hmm. All questions I think could eventually be answered but don't have good answers right now. Um, and so I wanted to – let's start with uh, – is Ryan, Ryan and Ike? Yeah, good. They're still, so let's start with Ike real quick. Ike, um, <clears throat> I saw your G plus post on this uh, and it, it, <laughs> it, 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 I thought it made it a good opportunity to say – you know, we're talking a lot about this in a way that it makes it sound inevitable, but there's probably some pretty common work cases where this type of packaging isn't really necessary. I think you've been getting a lot of questions about snaps in Solus, so I'd be really curious to hear your thoughts about it. Yeah, I mean, the it's been a bit of an outbreak. So from <laughs> my perspective, I've just seen people asking about it because they've heard about this thing called Snap. Uh, it's suddenly a thing now everybody needs to ask about it. People who hadn't ever heard about it before, this is now the future of everything. Why aren't you using it, you human scum? And this has pretty much been the, the weight of the tide so far. Boom. And from zero to 60. Be, yeah, I mean, far be it from me to be outspoken at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, I mean, people started straight up with Solus. It's like, you really, really, really now need to be using Snaps. And it's like, well, I mean... It, I'm probably going to go on to a bit of a rant now myself, so may I? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Right, so Solus has been around in one form or another now for the last few years. It's got a bit of an old cold base, and it's got this curmudgeonly old bugger behind it for the last few years as well. Now, Solus was designed, as I said earlier, to avoid these design issues, right? Solus doesn't have 14 different versions of a library. We'll have one. You're only using that. So immediately, we don't have the problem. What if I need this version of a library? Well, you're not getting it. <laughs> it's right. as simple as that. Um, well, how are we going to get LibreOffice? We already packaged LibreOffice for you. Why do you suddenly need LibreOffice packaged? Um, and then there's the fact that Solus doesn't use a traditional packaging format. So if you look at any traditional format, say a Debian package. Now, Debian packaging is hard, right? It's one of the reasons I first went with an independent base, because I passionately, passionately hate yeah. Debian packaging, <laughs> that if it was on fire, I wouldn't piss on it, right? I hate it that much. So I went as far away in the opposite direction. Now, when you package something, you have a policy. You say, these are development files. These are files the user is going to need. This thing has relational dependencies between them. 
So I designed a package build system that would tie all those pieces together and put the policy in place. So I don't have to do manual file lists. I don't have to do manual things at all, right? So to give an example, Michael Hall posted up an example of how easy it was to package um, the Genie editor for yeah, Ubuntu Genie. Now yep. Snaps. Mm-hmm. Did you, you saw that post, yeah, right? I, I, I think saw it was about 32 lines. Yeah, he said he was uh, editing the uh, YAML file for the Genie Snap from within Genie. Right. The Solus package is smaller. The build file is smaller. So from the perspective of Solus, just from a packaging perspective, mind, I'm not talking about confinement or sandboxing. Snap is technologically inferior to what that we already have. Okay. So that's one huge reason for Solus not to need to adopt it. We go for integration. So I don't like say Solus is using GTK 3.18 now. We have the 3.18 theme. We want everything to look good. Yeah. So why would I then want to bring in 3.20 packages that then don't quite interact properly or don't look quite well? Solus has an optimized runtime. Why would I then want to use a runtime that isn't optimized or is built or maintained by somebody else? So it sounds like you're worried about it. uh, It's it's taken away my curation is is kind of what you're saying. Uh, I mean, curation is definitely one part of it, but I don't want to water down my system and trust somebody else to build my operating system because if they were capable of doing that, I wouldn't be the person building Solus. Mm. Yeah. You right. are in a unique position there. That That's is funny. True. So uh, <laughs> yeah. now I want to uh, I want to ask Ryan, who's sort of on the other end of this, who's got an upstream project that's moving extremely fast. There's lots of features they want to ship. They want to guarantee. Clearly, is involved with packaging and the difficulties there, and he wants to get out on as many freaking distros as exactly. freaking possible. So, Ryan, what are your thoughts about snaps and flat packs and all of that, and some of your experience so far? Oh boy. You know that uh, Ike and I used to work on Solus together. I used to help, try to help out. Um, <laughs> so uh, the problem is when I'm packaging Mycroft is I, I have to package for every single thing. <laughs> I it It's not an enormously... Well, no, it is. It's kind of an enormous task. Yeah, you know? I, that's what I hear a lot. Somebody, and you got to do a lot of talking with, you know, folks who are involved in the distro. Uh, and it's just, it, it's kind of a mess. Even Debian packaging is a mess. Well, I guess Ike kind of said that, but the... Yeah, but you're trying to be diplomatic about it. Just go and say it's awful. I think everyone knows that. Yeah, and so the thing is, the... It doesn't have to be snappy. It doesn't have to be flat pack. It doesn't have to be app image, but whatever, or maybe it's all three of them. Well, actually, you can I wanna... can I make you? I, I disagree. I think you're being too polite because Mycroft, I mean, legitimately has some server side components that app image simply just doesn't address. Yeah, and I've thought about that, especially when you're running headless or you're running like you know with the the, the device. But the thing is, is all we want to do is be able to give people the newest version of the application. That's it. And we just, and we don't want to spend all of our time packaging. I've had a guy who's Aaron, who's been working two weeks. I'm just packaging. And that's kind of ridiculous. Like we just want to get a a version that somebody can pull down and install and not to worry about it. If that's snappy, I've got snap D on my arch machine since we were talking about it, I installed it, but yeah. I haven't restarted yet. Yeah. So 
the snap be on your running. path yet. Yeah. But I was going to, but like the, uh, but the idea is as an application developer, I just want to be able to tell people like here, this is an easy way to install it. If you want to pull it from your distro, that's great. But like, this is, this is a fast way to do it. And we know everything's good in there. We know the system libraries, <laughs> you don't have to worry about them. The thing that really actually made me look at Flatpak and look at Snappy is I I updated FreeType 2. I think I talked about this last time I was on here. And FreeType 2 broke all my Electron apps when it went to 2.6.3, uh, I think. Right. Yeah, man, that sucks. And, and I was like, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that such as just this this font library broke my electron apps yeah and you can say whatever you want about electron or or about in anything along that path but it would have been great from a user perspective when i'm just trying to use slack to tell somebody something if if it was just all self-contained mm-hmm. and i don't know what the security uh implications of that are uh, but it's it's frustrating you know especially when you're trying to get stuff done yeah so, so I, 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 I guess uh, I think, Ryan, um, the reason why I like your perspective is because I think it represents two valid points of view. So I want to give I want to toss it back over to Ike. So Ike, I think really what I see here is Ryan makes a case for certain specific applications to be distributed this way. And I think you're making the case that the base system and all your daily driver applications should probably be maintained by the distro. Do you what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you, you do need a domain separation, right? So I have what I call the operating system, and in the case of Solus, that is basically up to the budgie desktop and any, you know, the, the fat stuff and the stuff that we own, you know, like the, the web browser, text editor, things like that. Apps on top of that are then separate. Um, in the case of applications, so from Solus's perspective, we're not owned by a corporation. It's just me, Paddy here, you have to deal with, right? So I can be a bit more flexible than most. If I was a company or something, it'd be harder to deal with Solus, but it's just me. Um, because, you know, I'm not here to make a few quid out of Solus, so it's simpler for me. So I'm happy to, if you like, bend a few rules to help the, the application developers get in. It's, but then from the other perspective, yeah. I mean, I can make it as easy in the world for any of these guys to package their app up for Solus. I'll even make sure their patches get in for libraries, or I'll even make sure they have the different versions of the libraries they need. I'm happy to do that. From my perspective, and sorry, Ryan, but you kind of made yourself a target there. Uh-oh. Now, to use Mycroft as an example, now, that's something that I look at as having system-level components. Now, as for being up in a flat pack, well, I've already gone and looked at the code. Now, Ryan himself will tell you, I've already requested an architectural analysis of that. I've gone and looked for a mimic because I'm not happy with the code, right? And I've worked with them. They've had, um, had a few issues there and I've spoken with them. And they are responsive. I'll give them that. But things like that, I wouldn't want to, to go in first because I don't want Solus users in, in the dark, Right, because then you're getting into a, an area now. Not to use specifically, not to use Mimic or Minecraft in this example, but what you then get is a downward spiral that contributes to incompetency of software engineering practices. So by allowing everybody to run in a container, by allowing everyone to be isolated, they can get away with having shite code. But right? don't they already? Now, 
Yeah, but I'm not one of those people. I'm the sort of person who runs their code through Valgrind and static analysis and makes sure it doesn't leak. So by allowing these things to just break, like, do whatever they want, because they're in a sandbox, we're just going to have this downward spiral of incompetency. It would be like saying if you put your car and limited it to 10 miles an hour Ike, and put cushions all around Ike, the side I think, I think you're caught. I think you're caught in a logic loop here because I think we are already – in that paradigm of software quality, and that's why and projects want those projects, and that's why projects like yours exist in the first place mm-hmm. because we're sick and tired of it, and we need people who care about some of those small things. To, to sure, but I mean, there does need to be. I, it, it's a case of onus, isn't it? Um, mm. We all need to agree. For, for first of all, we do need the OS app separation, right? So the the OS, everything up to and including the desktop yeah. that you ship, that belongs to you. If your version of a library breaks the applications, you're a bad vendor, right? If you if the applications break the the operating system, that's a bad application. So I can see why you need the separation. What there. about the, what but, about the use case that uh, some of these things solve? Not necessarily a flat pack, but definitely app image and snaps. What about this really important use case where – and you just have no control over this. Somebody discovers uh, Solus. They download it. They've just recently switched over from a Mac or, or Windows. And the way they install software is they go to the vendor's website and they download it from their website. They're dumb. They don't know any better. Curse them. But that's how they want to do it. Uh, that, is a, that is a one example. But legitimately, let's be honest. It really is solving a problem to be able to say there are better ways to get software on Linux but – if you want to download this snap, just go here, download these snaps, or that use case, here's a thumb drive full of snaps, install these. There, there are scenarios where it is beneficial to the entire platform as a whole to be able to say, this can be installed on Linux. End of sentence. Yeah, I mean, it can be beneficial, but I mean, I mean, there's so, there's so many problems with this as well. So when I install a .exe, I mean, I'm sorry, when I install a uh, a snap yeah. from the internet because this is exactly what we're emulating between Flatpak and Snap. We're just trying to emulate Android, right? Yeah, I That's, guess so. this is exactly yeah. what we're trying to do here. We're downloading arbitrary files from the internet and install it, but this time mm-hmm. we're going to do it without the store itself. Yeah, which is what Snaps are trying except to do. Except there's a store and there's a repo with Snaps, so no. Yeah, except for the store, none of our distributions can actually contribute code to this unless we... Uh, the, the store itself, we can't see, right? That's completely proprietary. We're not allowed to see it, but we're going to trust code going through, though, yeah? Um, a lot there's a difference between that. saying you don't trust it and saying it don't exist. <laughs> Along with that, if I want to contribute code to get any of Snap fixed or better integrated, yeah, I then have to sign a contributor yeah. license agreement. I agree. I, right? I agree. So how open is it really? It's open in terms of code. The code is open. But That's if I fine. want to contribute it then, and I want then, to integrate into Solus, I think every, I, I think the entire, I think you could throw Snaps out there and the entire conversation just is still valid if you're just talking flat pack and app image. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree that I think none of them are technically close yet. Uh, I, I mean, mean close might not definitely be fair, a but... while to go. Um, yeah. And this is the thing. We're, we're, we're getting into heated arguments yeah. nowadays, like, well, everybody yep. is. But yep. neither of them have had a chance to prove themselves yet. I think, it's early days. I think it is early. And I think uh, but what I what I think I really appreciate about, appreciate about your viewpoint is uh, it represents the sort of the, the person who's willing to go that extra step to think a little bit harder about the way these things are built, to present the user with better options, to make sure that things are built and designed properly and things are running current. And 
those are going to be the people that are the most disserviced, I think, by the more generic software installation gets on Linux. And so I think the point that you're representing here in this conversation is a huge point of input that we're getting. It's not exactly refined like that yet, but we're getting a lot of that feedback into the show is there is a point for the for the package maintainer. There is a point for mm-hmm. the builder, for the assembler. And they've been they've they we have come to these positions and, and, and had people do these jobs for very specific reasons. It wasn't just arbitrary that we just one day all decided we're gonna have package maintainers, we're gonna have repos and we're gonna do software this way and we're gonna share libraries. Like that wasn't just an accident. Mm-hmm. There was good reason for it. And when you implement it properly, it is a very good system. And it's not going away necessarily. So, and then I think Ryan does a great job of representing yep. uh, the upstream project that's got something really neat on their hands that they want to get out to as many p- people possible in the most predictable ma- manner possible, in in the most user acceptable manner possible. And that's also a completely legitimate point of view. It's I have pretty a question amazing. for Ryan. And the- Go ahead, Ryan. If, uh, if Ryan, if you have. Uh, situation where the packaging, the current structure of packaging, let's say the application level and not the core base was um, just, those three competing, all of the three, the flat pack, the snaps, and the app image are all equally dominant at some point in time. Would that be an, an improvement to the current state? If they were all competing, but all still Say that one more time. I'm sorry. If 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 you had to make three packages that would and all and depending on the distro, like let's say some people some distros use Snap, some use Flatpak, but they don't all have a universal. They don't all agree to that. But instead of having to deal with the maintainers, instead of having to deal with different formats for based on the different distros and the different distro versions, you only had to make three for one for each structure for flats, Flatpak, Snaps, etc. Would that be been, would that be an improvement to the current state for Mycroft? Sure. I mean, what we're talking about is kind of totally different, I think. Ike's talking about, you know, some of these lower level system um, libraries that, frankly, Mycroft does use. We walk kind of a line, you mm-hmm. know, what we've had issues packaging with Snappy in the past because we touch some things that are, are not, we're not as simple as your normal desktop application. But the thing that we're trying to do, and I think what a lot of application vendors are trying to do, is uh, put something out there where they're not so worried about a system library changing like free type 2 when they haven't written support for that yet. You know, there are a lot of things like that where you're, you're trying to do your best as an application developer, but you you got so many competing desires from your users that it sometimes you need to have that direct relationship with them in order to provide a good consistent stable experience and uh, I think that we're if we demonize like these projects or or say like and I'm I know that's not what a lot of people are doing but if we don't there's obviously a reason that there's that they're gaining traction and that's because application developers are having a hard time targeting Linux and getting a consistent experience to their users. Mm -hmm. And to talk about the trust issue, if somebody is willing to go and grab a PPA for for a piece of software, they already trust who's providing that PPA. Should they trust them? I don't know, but they already do. And there's a lot of trust that's thrown around anyway. 
you know, you're there's trusting the maintainers. Confusing, sorry, there's people confusing PPAs with being canonically maintained. Yeah, right. I think I think you make a good point, Ryan. Uh, and uh, I, I kind of want to give you sort of the uh, final input here. Or, uh, you say you have a proposition. Curious yeah, about yeah. That. I mean, I'll start off with one bit of confusion I actually had with Ryan there, which I didn't understand. Um, Ryan, you just asked if there was they was all competing standards. Would you then accept them all, and it would all be a good thing? That doesn't seem like it makes sense to me. Um, you would adopt one of these standards because of the universal standard to solve the problem of not doing the other packaging formats. Otherwise, you no. essentially just took on three more packaging formats. Did I? No, I, di- I didn't. Uh, <laughs> no. I, I, I never said that. we would just package one. I never said we would just no. package one. No, no. One of those. No. Like, no, that's not I'm what I just saying- said either. No, okay. Yeah, this was, is this was, is hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop, stop. Let me just. This is this is not really worth talking about. All it, it's just simple. But, the question was the question was if you could basically get away with using just app image flat pack and snaps, and cover and the entire you've ecosystem. essentially covered the entire ecosystem. Isn't that better than creating four different versions of the RPM, two Debs, one for Debian, Correct. one for Ubuntu, and submitting it to the OpenSUSE build service and all trying right. to get it in copper? Yeah, versus, that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. That's for all me, he was saying. It's not better. I think seriously that the problem is elsewhere. Seriously, the problem is that developers have been doing development relying on system-wide things like package names. Developers used version control systems appropriately. By appropriately, I mean include your dependencies in your project tree as a sub-module of of GitHub or SVN or whatever. This would allow any maintainer to go and compile the project. Now, how they distribute those files in their distribution is their problem. But everyone, there is a maintainer, will be able to just get your source and build it. That mm-hmm. would actually fix things. I agree. And we wouldn't care if, we, if we're deploying 30 different packages because in the end of the day, anyone really wanting, they could download the source and build yeah, I think I don't want to wait for a maintainer to do. Yeah, that. I, I think the I think just yeah. I think just the complication of that landscape. So here's what I get for, on the Coda Radio Show is a lot of people who want to start distributing Linux server side apps, and they want to ask Mike and I the best way to go about <laughs> it. And the number one thing they have a problem with is. I can't effing figure out how to even get my app out there. Like, how do I package it? Which one should I be packaging it for? Which version of those distros should I package it for? And then once I've packaged it, how the hell do I let anybody know about it? Like, there's no app store. There's no central news place that people check. Like, how the hell do I let anybody know I've created this thing? The entire process is so opaque to them, it's so nebulous to them, that they honestly say, you know what, i got better things to do, I'll just go make a Docker container and call it good. I'm out. That's, I, I mean, so I think, yeah. okay, so, I, we'll just, so maybe yeah. we, should, we should probably wrap it up, but I guess the, the point is, is what I think people are fundamentally missing when they're not getting the entire argument is, and, I'll, and maybe, I'll, maybe I'll send it back to Ike so we can finish this thought here, but the point is, is there's a problem out there, a meta problem that goes beyond the technology, that goes beyond the sandboxing, that goes beyond who created it. The meta problem is, is there is a wave of talent that wants to create software for a platform and they simply can't even figure out how to get the applications here. And if you don't think it's true, you haven't been talking to a lot of developers because it is fundamentally just that stupid basic problem is what's holding up a ton of them. As I looked at it, it looks super complicated. I and when you have so many choices, like you, how do you know which one? How do you like? Yeah, and they're not familiar yeah. with it. They just you know what? It. I'll just go make an Android app, and it, or or a really fancy app for the Mac OS X because you know like so or you end up with defined. Own, or you end up with own cloud on Debian. 
Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, Ike, yeah, I know that wasn't your main point about the the semantics of the packages. You had another point you wanted to make in there, right? Yeah, no, I mean that one I was just literally confused about. I didn't yeah, know. That yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, so finish it up. There. Didn't know that was going to happen. Uh, so my proposal is basically this. I know Poppy's not actually on here at the moment, so I'll, I'll let him reply on IRC. So this one's a bit of a freeway. Um, but, well, duh, moving on. <laughs> hey, so. Well. <laughs> my proposal is basically this. Um, I know I've raised concerns over parts of the code base in Mimic. Now, to be clear, this is not me trying to crap on Mimic, right? This is because of the forked code base that it started from. Now, that stuff is already a nightmare to, to work with. I can see that. So I'm not crapping on those guys at all. So my proposal goes freeway. Ryan, <laughs> feels like this is your life. Um, I will package... All of Minecraft for Solus, right? And I, and I will demonstrate how easy this is going to be. As yeah, that's a great title. Um, I will demonstrate how easy this is going to be. Now it's something I'm going to be maintaining, right? And just as long, I want you to take the patches coming back. So this is, you know, to get everyone back in the the mood of giving an open source and contribute, Aww. right? I will give you the patches back from Solus for the things that I have concerns about, as opposed to just sitting there bitching about them. Right? <laughs> now, <laughs> because there's a lot of that that goes on these days. Um, and for Pulpy, there are some things I think that Y package in Solus is already done, right? Now, as much as I picked on it before for having some mm. technical limitations in comparison to Solus's Y package. That doesn't mean that um, that Snappy isn't good for Ubuntu. What doesn't work for us will actually work for Ubuntu, right? This is their solution. That That's great. There are some things we have already done in Y package in Solus that I keep going to say uh, flatback, I'm sorry, but it's not. <laughs> there are some things that it could really, really benefit from. So some of the things that we took from Clear Linux, it could also benefit from mm. them, like the, the optimizations, the, the advanced patterning logic. So some of those concepts, some of the constructs that we use in our YAML files, I think they could really do with us. Now, personally, I'm not going to be able to sign the CLA. So what I'll do, I will put those contributions out as public domain and I will leave those for anyone in the canonical to take them up and merge them if they wish. Nice. And you know what? If Mycroft, in some way, like the GNOME extension or some capacity, ended up integrated into the desktop on Solus. Oh, boy, that wouldn't be a bad thing. I think I well, would. we have Raven, don't we? I would have to run that on my laptop. I would think I'd yeah. make that well, my laptop. We've got the Raven sidebar. How sexy would that be? Yeah. yeah. See, I would that'll like, be my, that's I, my promise. I would like to point out, too, that I. I love Solus. I used to be a part of that community and I've used Y package and it's a good solution. I, uh, so I, Ike and I, um, we get along in other settings, <laughs> but, uh, it's the, Wes. Uh, he brings the, out the worst in people. I sure do. <laughs> yeah. But there, but what, what we're just trying to do is find easy ways to, to get, um, our, our software, you know, yeah. to, to I mean, this users. has got to be a, a whatever, wherever we end up, even if it's, this is going to be kind of a good thing for projects like yours, Ryan. So I'm excited for it. And I, I got to imagine you are. And it's nice. Can you share it all? Like, uh, has, have people from Canonical contacted the project and said, can we get you started? Can we help? Like, what's that process been like? Because that seems to be sort of a, a key piece that they've done that's helped them get an early start on a lot of snaps is Canonical is working directly with different projects to help them, you know, say, hey, do you have any questions? Are you interested? Can we help you? Have you had anything, any discussions yeah. like that? So 
first, I'd like to real quick thank um, Ike, and I can't think of who else popped in, but some some early folks popped in from from Solus and from uh, and from Ubuntu and a guy from Fedora to provide some uh, some kind of day one and day two feedback on the repo when it first went open source, the Mycroft Core repo. So first, I want to thank those guys. That, but uh, yeah, we did. We have had the Ubuntu guys um, reach out to us and and walk us through packaging. Uh, we we have some requirements as far as access to the sound devices that uh, we that we still do a back and forth with them on on making sure that I've noticed it that a little bit picks the right mind. sound device. Yeah, it needs to pick the right sound device. It needs to pick the sound device that's in use by the user. Um, it needs to have a good default that there's a lot of nuance in, in, uh, picking and managing sound devices. Um, but all around, they've been really good providing feedback. Um, I talked to, to Adam Miller on the, uh, on the Fedora project who also, um, provided some feedback around Flatpak. So, um, but yes, the, so far, uh, everybody who I've spoken to on the snappy team has been really great about answering questions. The same with the flat pack guys. Um, and then of course there have been, uh, wimpy, uh, helped us out with, uh, packaging for Debian. Nice. For, nice. You know, for Ubuntu. So, uh, so I, I don't want to like poop on any of yeah. the packaging things and say, and I want to say that, yeah, the, the snappy guys and the flat pack guys have been great, um, providing feedback. Um, I, I think that uh, that what we what my two cents is that I'd really like for um, to start discussing the technical merits of these projects, like like you've been advocating for, exactly. um, Chris. I I'd love to see more write ups on yeah. what the what the actual difference is, and not yeah. about canonical the sandboxing I, yeah. quote unquote okay. propaganda. Boy, that is so great. You know, I think that's probably our ending note right there. Is I think uh, just maybe maybe future episodes, maybe we'll just start the conversation. Future episodes, I'd like to talk about. First of all, flat packs are very much a repo based uh, technology, which is a totally different approach than say app image uh, or uh, snap necessarily can be a totally different approach, and is in some ways reminiscent of PPAs, good and bad. And means software updates will be easier. Tech, there's a lot of technology there, right? Their, mm-hmm. their sandboxing is further along uh, for different distributions. Uh, Snaps, I think it's only like on Ubuntu and Arch right now. But how are they doing that? What is AppArmor the right choice? Like all these questions yep. that we have, questions about like re-implementing the Snap Store backend or creating your own Snap Store. And do you have to rebuild the SnapD program? Like all these. And where will the real community? actually flourish yeah is 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 you app browser whatever it is you browser whatever mm-hmm. is, is that going to be the place like all these little questions that we have i think now are what we should start talking about and the technical aspects of them i think you know this this part of it it's just i it's just it really has moved to a very partisan discussion very quickly uh but i don't know if it's really i don't know really if there's much product much more productive produ- right, productive absolutely. conversation to be had there okay i will all say right. i think we may end up with two regardless, I think that uh, something you said caught my attention, just that really snaps are the only one with any server focus at all. You know, like Flatpak explicitly says that it doesn't really fit with the server and AppImage has that great desktop in there. So I think 
really Docker or something like that is here to stay on the server side. Too. Yeah. So there's probably at least going to be two. The momentum, um, the momentum and demand around delivering reliable, consistent, predictable and maybe software different goals, on the server know? is is going to make snaps at least successful on the Ubuntu platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think probably that alone. But all of that is a conversation for another day. Join us on Sunday on Linux Action Show. We'll be reviewing the new Fedora release. I'm really looking forward to it. This is a release I have been hoping for. You know, GNOME 320 is looking Ooh. nice. It's got Flatpak support. Yep. I've had a Fedora installation on the server running for a while now that I'm going to be upgrading to Fedora 24 and reporting on that. Really been looking forward to it. Uh, join us live Tuesday. Uh, that's my next Tuesday, my last episode before I go on vacay. Wes, you may not be here, too. I may not be here. So we may have a special guest sitting in on Wes's chair. Find out the time in your local time by going to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar, and then join us at jblive.tv, linuxactionshow.reddit.com, and we'll see you right back here next Tuesday. Zombies don't run Linux. Uh, I've never installed GNU slash Linux. Get it out of here. It's negative in the freedom dimension. I got the sense right as we were leaving there that Rotten, you had something you wanted to add, but we were wrapping up. Did you have, uh, did you want to complete a thought? I was just going to answer your question about the UAP Explorer. Oh, yeah. That's an official non-canonical thing. Right, yeah. Uh, remember how the Ubuntu forms were unofficial at one one time? Remember that, and they became <laughs> that's a long time I ago. Know, right? That's a while ago. Wow. JamieTitles.com. Well, the the UAP Explorer is not just snappy; it also has click yes, packages, right. so it's kind of like a mess right now. Yeah, for now. Uh, hey, uh, both a uh, big thank you to both Ryan and Ike who uh, guys. who uh, stepped in the ring. Thank you also, of course, to all the everybody uh, who contributed. But uh, it's it was uh, there was a lot of heavy lifting there by you guys. So really appreciate it. Yeah, I don't think I needed to mention it, but it was very nice having different perspectives from uh, yeah, the different yeah. uh, absolutely, absolutely. Whether it was mm-hmm. yeah. maintainers, packagers, all that. I wanted to add that uh, Mycroft is already Dockerized. Right, so there <laughs> yeah, you go. There you go. <laughs> of course it is. Right? Everything's Dockerized. All right, drivertotters.com, you guys. Got to go to drivertotters.com. My little popey. Oh, boy. That Popey sounded like a robot, huh? Mm-hmm. I gotta Sorry get. Sorry about the My Little Popey one. <laughs> I gotta get. I gotta get Mycroft installed on this machine just so I can make Popey say stuff during the show when he's not here. Right? You have to. That's obvious. Popey's gonna end up showing up on a lot of podcasts. I I, I want. So uh, I want the functionality to say Mycroft define coconut. Like I want to be able to just. Can I do that, Ryan? Will I build a? Will I build a get like? Like a word definition, because that's what I would like to have right here in the studio with a mic on it. And that way, when I wanted to find something, I can just ask Mycroft, and then Popey reads the answer. Let, let me check. Let me let me pop them up right now. <laughs> I love it. So, Ike, um, you spent a lot of effort trying to get games to make sure that games work on it, especially Steam games. But, like... Are you getting any support from Valve, and doesn't it kind of suck if you're not? Um. Well, I mean, I'm. I mean, you must have realized by now. I'm. You know, I'm 
half wired wrong. So, <laughs> in terms of support from Valve, in the way I kind of look at it defiantly is like, well, I'm doing it because they're not. Um, you know, I mean, eventually they're going to pick up on what I'm I'm doing, and eventually all this stuff will become the norm, and everything will be fixed. But it doesn't really bug me, to be honest with you. Do I think they should have been doing it properly first? Yes. That, yeah. Do I think they should have used Ubuntu twelve oh four and used a runtime library like that? No. no. But it's the same reason why I think Flatpak is doomed as well, because of the whole thing. We're going to provide your API, um, ABI, yeah. but we're not going to define it. So what it should have been is like, this is the ABI we need, not this is the ABI you're going to use in this exact form. And that's exactly the same problem Flatpak has. And it's the reason why Flatpak would never go into Solus, while Snap would never be a primary form. It could be something we could accept as a secondary form in Solus, you know, because it doesn't push that, um, doesn't force that distribution method on you. That's perfect because Snap is not inten- it's intended to be a supplement. It's not intended to replace the core at all. Like they were, yeah, Char- Char- Mark Shuttleworth was asked about whether Snap would make it where the Debian was not not necessary, and he said that was never going to happen. That Debian yeah. is a fundamental importance yeah, to Ubuntu. Them to pursue that, and it's well, I mean, just, you need your it's just on top. Hold on, hold on, guys. This is CNN breaking news. Uh, we have a update from uh, Robot Poppy. Greetings, uh, Professor Falcon. Would you like to see some projected kill ratios? <laughs> oh, God! That's awesome. And that is our... Uh, oh, God, that is our Poby robot update. Where did that come from? Poby. <laughs> the Whopper, I, I believe. Poby's inside the Whopper now. That's that's amazing. So, yeah, I got to get hooked up to the stream. Yep. Oh, Poby. That is uh, maybe the next most important JB project. Oh, Poby. You know, JBot needs a voice. Yes, it does. JBot, JBot needs a voice. It needs to come alive. Wouldn't it be great if at the end of the show we could turn on JBot and and like? Wouldn't it be? I wonder if there's a way we could. You wouldn't want people to like jam it up. No, but you'd want to have certain people. I don't know because you wouldn't want to limit it either. But it would be great if we could give JBot a voice at this point in time during the show. Can Can we ask Ryan right now that if you ask Mycroft, would you like to play a game? That's the answer. How about a game of chess? That was pretty that was, good. That was good. Greetings, mm-hmm. Professor Falcon. Would you like to see some projected kill ratios? <laughs> you know what I gotta do is I gotta put that on the soundboard is what I gotta do. Because that's gonna be handy. I secretly use Arch Linux. Alright. So we gotta go pick our title and we gotta get out of here. Yep. It's getting ridiculous. This is a long what ass is, show. 